This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio helps brands build relationships across any distance, delivering email marketing moments your customers will appreciate, remember, and share in good times and bad. And since it's all driven by real-time e-commerce data, you can make sure every interaction feels more personal. When you have a 360-degree view of a customer, the growth possibilities are endless. Visit clavio.com slash duct tape to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash duct tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Emily Hayward, the co-founder and chief branding officer of Red Antler and the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. So Emily, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So whenever we talk about brand, I always like to get people's definition of what actually is a brand? Because, you know, I've heard about 100 definitions. I'm so glad you asked that because I agree. <laughs> there are probably 100,000 definitions and many of them I would disagree with. I think to start, I'll say what a brand is not, which is that it is not just your logo. It's yeah. not just your name. It's not a tagline. I think that all of these elements are key expressions of a brand. But the way that we think about brand and what the book really outlines is that brand is what you stand for. It's an idea. And then that idea needs to get expressed through a visual and verbal system, which is what people see and what they think of when they think of branding. So with all the new platforms, all the new technology, all the new ways that people have to buy uh, today, w would you say that over the last, I don't know, let's say decade, that, that people's relationships with brands have changed? I think people's relationships with brands have fundamentally changed. And actually, that's a lot of what I write about in the book is that the rules of branding have had to evolve based on all of these changes that you've outlined and the fundamental shift in how people are interacting with and buying and relating to brands. And I think that if you wanted to sum it up into one core change, I think consumers have more power and control than they ever had before. And that means that brands have had to step it up. Yeah, I mean, you think 10, 15 years ago, you know, there was no way for your market or your consumers to, you know, create a YouTube channel about how awful you are, right? I mean, so, so, so our our buyers, customers are participating more than they ever had the ability to in what our brand actually is, aren't they? That's such a good point. There's an opportunity for direct feedback. If you're irritated, you can tweet at a company, you can post right. your own reviews. In addition, so many of the structures that used to control people's relationships to brands have been removed. You don't have to shop through a traditional retailer. Right. You don't have to learn about a brand through a TV commercial. You're interacting directly with the businesses that are putting out products, and it's a two-way street. So... This is like the really big question. You ready for the really big question? Um, a, brand, a brand that people love takes what? I think that in summation, a brand that people love puts people first. And I can break that down a little bit more. Um, but I think that what we're seeing with the brands today that generate obsession is that it's not about them. It's about their customers. 
And that obviously means, you know, very basic things like being more convenient, being more affordable, but it also means aligning their values with the values of the people that they're trying to reach. It means respecting the intelligence of the consumer. It means being transparent and admitting mistake and approaching the relationship with humility. So I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, a lot of startups, and I will say that few think about the brand from day one. I mean, in fact, a lot of small businesses, it's like, we don't really have a brand. I mean, that's for those companies over there. So, you know, in fact, like I say, some, some never come to think about that, but you know, how, how can a, somebody who's trying to figure out what their product is, does anybody want this stuff? You know, all the stuff that you kind of wrestle with starting out, um, how can they, uh, how could you get them motivated to think about the, the return on investment of, of, you know, day one brand building? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when we started Red Antler in 2007, definitely the ethos of the time was that pre-launch companies should not be thinking about brand. You know, this right. was very much the era of the lean startup and test your way to success and iterate. And I think that, you know, as our business has grown, we've actually seen the world around us change. And I'm finding that more and more entrepreneurs understand that they're going to be better set up for success and competitive differentiation if they start to answer these questions as early as possible. And to ad directly address the way you phrased your question, I would say questions of what is this product and like, will people care? Those are brand questions. Yeah. So again, it doesn't mean that you need to go out and spend, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars necessarily on a fancy logo. But I do think you need to have a very clear idea of the problem that you're solving for people, the idea that you want to own in their hearts and minds, and ultimately how you want interactions with your brand to make people feel. And if you haven't answered those questions, I'm not sure you're ready to launch. So I'm glad you mentioned the fancy logo and, and you talked about how a lot of people think about, you know, brand as, as being logos or, or trademarks or, or, uh, you know, things that the things that we typically think about, you know, what, what the letterhead looks like back, I guess I'm dating myself there. Does anybody use letterhead anymore? But my real point here is that I do sometimes think that has people uh, dismissing the value of design um, in some, in some cases. And, you know, there are countless companies that, that good design, effective design has really been a hallmark of their brand as you know as the company's grown and and so so what role does you know design play in that you know we've kind of dismissed it's not the logo but i want to bring back the idea that i think good design plays a huge role in in the brand well i absolutely agree with you and i am obviously someone who runs a design company that makes logos so you're not going to find an argument from me, me there i think that when I think about the power of design it's that it's able to show things that you wouldn't be able to tell and if you think about someone saying, hey, trust me, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to trust you. Um, but if you just feel that trust, then that starts a positive relationship. So I think that the companies that are able to invest in good design from the start are so much more poised for success because immediately they're telling the right story without even having to say the words. And it's so much more effective because it gives people a feeling 
that they can't even articulate, right? It's like, that's what the power of great art is. You don't even know why it moves you, but it does. So I think design is incredibly important. And I think that ultimately it's impossible to build a lasting successful brand without great design. But my only point before is that I think sometimes people see branding as this sort of perfunctory one-off exercise where they need to just, you know, buy a logo and then they're done. And I'd say like that, that's just the beginning of it. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is, I mean, we can all think of, 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 you know, cases of brands that were long established that said, oh, we, you know, it's been 25 years. We need to have a refresh, you know, of the, of the brand and the elements associated with the brand. Well, change is happening so fast now that I think it, I think anybody who starts a business need to be, needs to be thinking about how do we, how do we fundamentally disrupt what we're doing every 18 months, maybe. So what does that do to sort of the idea of a, of a long-term investment in a brand? It's a great question. You know, I think that there are ways to continue to evolve and respond to culture and stay fresh and keep people surprised and engaged without feeling like you need to rebrand every 18 months. And I would not suggest that a company rebrand every 18 months. I think mm-hmm. instead it's about thinking about brand as a living, breathing thing. So if you have a North star that you're continuing to work towards and you know what you stand for and your values stay true and consistent within that world, you can have a lot of fun. And it doesn't mean that every time you show up on Instagram, you need to look exactly the same. And you certainly don't need to look the same as on Instagram as you do on your website. And there's a lot of room to play. But to me, the way that you're able to do that is by getting the fundamentals right and staying true to them. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. In uncertain times, supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers is a strategy that will be appreciated, remembered, and shared. In good times and bad, open and empathetic communication with your customers is key. Email is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering these communications. Visit Clavio.com slash duct tape to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash duct tape. So let's talk about this word obsessed. Uh, are there are there elements that uh, obviously brands take off for different reasons, their fans love them for different reasons, but are there are there kind of everyday elements that you think, well, yeah, you need to at least if you're going to have a brand that people obsess over, you know, these couple things have to happen. Absolutely. Well, that is quite a lot of what the book is about. Um, but certainly I think it can be broken down into key principles. And just to name a few of them, I think the first is ensuring that you're solving a real problem for people. And what I mean by that is that I've met with a lot of entrepreneurs where when I ask them what problem they're solving for people, they jump to what their business does. Yeah, we provide and- them insurance. Yeah, exactly. Solving the problem of easy access to data. And not a problem. (laughs) That's a solution. Um, So I think it's about making sure you're tapping into a real fundamental need. I think it's about ensuring that when you do tap into that need, your response is not just functional, but it's emotional. You're telling a story that goes beyond what your product does, but actually gets into how you want people to feel. And then I think it's about being true to your values through and through, you know, I mean, even back to our conversation about design, 
I think design is only effective when it's expressing a core truth. I think if it's a false layer that sits on top, if you have like a sort of flashy looking brand, but then you dig under the surface and there's no substance there, people are smart and they're going to figure that out pretty quickly. So I don't think design can be an obfuscating layer. I think it has to be the way that you reveal what you stand for. Yeah, it's it, in some ways it highlights the truth. And that's what I that's when I think you actually don't like you don't notice it. You don't go, wow, that thing is orange. You know, it just kind of fits into your, you know, your perception. And and let me ask you that. I mean, one of the uh, I asked you about your definition of brand and I've my that I've used for a, a lot of years is it's your brand is what the customer thinks it is. Um, and I think that that's a part that, you know, so many people miss that we don't get we we can try to influence that. But I don't think we get to decide that ultimately, do we? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably even more true today than it was 10 years ago, right? And that goes back to the fact that consumers have a lot of control over how your story gets told. But I think that that also is an incredible opportunity because it's amazing that people are choosing to follow brands on Instagram, right? And choosing to comment on their pages. Like, that didn't happen before. So I think that that, yes, it poses risk, but it's also can be a huge advantage if, if used correctly. Would you say, and there's no easy answer to this, but but would there be a tendency to, especially since you talk about brand from day one, I mean, do smaller organizations in some cases have an advantage potentially? I think that we've seen many, many startups who have come in and been able to disrupt categories that felt like they were never going to budge. And, right. you know, certainly larger organizations have the advantage of budget and scale and, you know, years and decades and centuries of expertise behind them. But I think that startups are able to take more risk. I think they're able to be much more nimble and respond much more quickly to changes around them. And I think ultimately they have less to lose. So, yeah. You know, they're able to go out there and be much braver in their approach and really imagine how things should be versus, well, this is how things have always been done. So sometimes looking in the rearview mirror, it's, you know, through hindsight, it's it's easy to easier to do this. But are there a handful of brands that now, you know, people are I mean, it's known people are obsessed over that, that you think did it right from day one? Yeah, I mean, you know, my book is filled with examples, some of which we worked on at Red Antler and others that are just businesses that I admire. Um, a couple examples that are not Red Antler clients that I think have just done a remarkable job from day one. One would be Sweetgreen. You know, I think that the idea of like getting a salad at a chain was around for a long time and they managed to come out with it in a way that just built an unbelievably loyal community and really make clear their values and ultimately address fundamental issues in the food system. Um, you know, and th that brand is just infinitely appealing to people. The, the excitement people get over Sweetgreen definitely belies <laughs> the idea of getting a salad, at least in my opinion. Um, but their food is delicious. Um, I think Glossier is another one, you know, the, the cosmetic brand that mm -hmm totally turned the beauty industry on its head and came out with just such a fresher, more honest, more real approach, but it's still incredibly aspirational and people are just absolutely obsessed with that brand. Um, you know, a brand that we did work on that I'm, I'm very proud of and certainly garners obsession is Allbirds, the footwear brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was not an easy, 
task because you're going up against some of the most beloved brands in the world in that category, but they have an incredibly strong mission around sustainability as well as, you know, having built a world that people just want to be a part of. Yeah. <laughs> my, I know my, uh, one of my daughters uh, um, is out in San Francisco and she's just obsessed with them. Great. Well, they so, have shoes, so you should tell her if she doesn't know already. That they what are they going into running shoes? Is yeah, that what they, have, yeah. they launched them actually just now, and they're they're fen- phenomenal. Oh, great, awesome. So we haven't talked about this yet, um, but I think today more than ever, culture is brand for a lot of organizations. So, you know what what role does culture? I guess ultimately, what role do the people in inside a brand you know play in the obsession game? I think culture is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. And I think we're actually, you know, in the past year, even we've seen a lot of examples of businesses where maybe some less desirable parts of their culture have been exposed and Mm -hmm. people have really reacted very strongly, whether it's the political affiliations of one of their funders or whether it's the behavior of the CEO and the amount of attention that these news stories get is a reflection that People want to know what's going on inside the companies that they support Um, and and are very disappointed to learn that the values that the brands claim to stand for are not being upheld amongst every level of worker. So I think, again, you know, brand needs to start from within and the most within is the employees themselves and them living and breathing and feeling it and being a part of the world that's ultimately being shown to the outer world. How much of a generational consideration is there in, um, you know, obviously some brands are targeted very much at a, you know, certain age group or something or a certain generation, but, you know, brands that are, that are targeted across the demographic spectrum, um, I, you know, I, I'll just use my, my, uh, um, I'm, I'm at the tail end of the baby boom. I have kids that are millennials and, you know, we, we share, you know, very, very, very similar values um, in terms of what we want out of companies, but they are way less tolerant, you know, of a website that doesn't work the way that they think it should work, you know, things like that. Whereas I'm more interested in the end result. Uh, They're really, they seem to be, and this is a huge generalization, sometimes more interested in how they got there or as interested in how they got there. So uh, that's clearly a consideration for people that are trying to create brands, right? Yes, I think that the younger generations obviously grew up with technology and their expectations are immediately going to be higher. But I actually think that's just going to become more and more true. And those generations are aging up, right? So that's just going to become the norm. I'm so glad you brought up shared values because I think a lot of times the brands that I talk about and that we're sort of putting in this category get labeled as millennial brands. But my feeling on that is that millennials just happen to be the generation that came of age at a time when consumers had this incredible power and that the values they're tapping into, to your exact point, are values that we all share. So I do believe that the brands that do it right have the ability to span generations because it's not about a demographic. It's about tapping into a system of beliefs and a mindset. And people respond to that regardless of their age. Yeah. So... You probably encountered this, and I suspect if somebody reads your book, uh, they will be thinking, gosh darn it, how come our customers aren't obsessed? So is there a way to start over? 
Yes, absolutely. It's never too late to do the right thing. And I write about a few examples in the book of brands that evolved or even rebranded. I think that, you know, if your business model is flawed, that's a different story, right? But most of the time, what we find is that the business is in the right place, but the brand is not taking credit for all the things that make the business incredible. So it's less about a total pivot. And it's more about let's make sure our branding can catch up to our offering. Like let's make sure our branding lives up to who we truly are. And, you know, those are the businesses that probably didn't invest in it in the first place, right? Didn't do it right. And are just on a much slower path to growth than they need to be because they're not putting their best face forward. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I think people underestimate, you know, they can have a great product. People really talk about it all the time. They love it. But the customer experience in buying the product or in getting service on the product, you know, is not great. And that just that damages the brand as, you know, as much as somebody talking about it not working, <laughs> you know, a product or service not working. So I, I have seen brands turn fix that issue and all of a sudden, you know, they fix the brand. Totally. It needs to it needs to happen through and through. Right. Like there can't be. You can't have this incredible looking website and then you try to use it and it's, you know, broken or you can't reach someone. Um, You know, I mean, think about how much, how people feel about like their cable company, right? It's like, you can't get someone on the phone and you hate those brands. Like you're seething, you know? (laughs) It's a, that's, that's, that's a category that has actually made some improvement. I mean, some of those categories were, were really bad when they were monopolies. Um, at least there's been a little competition introduced that is, has, uh, you know, made them at least uh, figure out how to how to make their website work or something. So, yeah, not fast enough in my <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. So, so Emily, uh, tell people where they can find out more about Red Antler and uh, Obsessed. Yeah, so Red Antler, you can just go to our website, redantler.com, and get a pretty good overview of the work we've done and what we're all about. And Obsessed is coming out on June 9th. And it's available for pre-order on Amazon and all other places where you can buy books. Um, And yeah, you can also just check me out on Instagram, Emily Hayward, H-E-Y-W-A-R-D, and I'll be giving updates about the book there. Awesome. Well, Emily, thanks for stopping by the podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll see you someday back out there on the road when we can do those things. Thank you so much. It's so great talking to you. I appreciate it. 